ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming. Yo, yo, people, how's it going? Hope you're all doing well wherever you are in the world. And as you can tell, guys, I'm I'm racking up a lot of these podcasts. This is probably the third podcast in about four days. I really am trying to get all this information out to you as soon as I can. There is a lot going on in the world, as you know. And this is another conversation that I, I feel that attacks what is going on currently in the world right now. So this is a great conversation. This is with a guy called Charles Einstein. I've wanted to have a conversation with him for a very long time. I've read many of his different books. And Charles really is one of the most um, celebrated writers and speakers about the intersection of systems of change on the planet. And he's really provoking some great questions and all the different things that he's doing around the world. And in the wake of the pandemic crisis, he also wrote a popular essay called The Corona Nation, which I would definitely recommend and out. It is called The Corona Nation. It is a fantastic article and asks so many different questions. And in this podcast today, we discuss his article and his thoughts on the deeper story of what the pandemic crisis is actually revealing to us all. So in this podcast, we ask some questions. We ask the question, is the crisis highlighting a lot of fragile aspects of society? How much of life do we want to sacrifice at the altar of security if it keeps us safer? Does human advancement mean separation? Is this the future? And through all this, we we also talked about some things that are becoming visible. And one of them clearly is how that a lot more people now or have a lot of distrust in government and political authorities. And we, we talk about how we see that playing out in the future. We also got asked the question, what is a conspiracy theory and what does it mean? We also ask, how do we know what we believe is really true in the world that we live? And we also um, discuss the deeper story of what the pandemic of the crisis is revealing. And we talk about talk around the fear of death, which is really interesting. And also, just to, we also talk about how can we use this as an opportunity and a catalyst to evolve our own lives and evolve humanity. So this one, as you can tell, guys, it really is a powerhouse of a conversation. It really is. This is a great angle, in my opinion, to look at um, the conversation of what is going on in the world with COVID-19. In the last podcast, as you can tell, it was from more of a biological perspective, even though we did touch on some psychological stuff with um, Dr. Andrew Kaufman. But this one of the... this side of the conversation in my opinion is more from a psychological perspective and how it how the and how how sort of what's going on in the world now really is revealing some deeper aspects about um, the human experience 
human society, sorry, as a whole. So anyway, I hope you like this conversation. And if you can, guys, check out the one-off donation option in the Patreon page. It really just helps me to keep doing what I'm doing, bringing you these alternative conversations that at the moment on the planet really are hard to come by and find. So enjoy this conversation anyway. Peace out. Yeah, so like I said before, I'm, I'm very um, familiar with your work and I've also, I've read your book as well, Secret Economics, which is, I've recommended on the podcast loads of times to people. It really is a, a great um, book in my opinion. And you are really, in my opinion, you are one of the most fascinating speakers about sort of systems of change on the planet and um, personal growth as well. And I also, just like I said to you before off the podcast, I've also read your recent article, The Chronomation as well, which I know has been viewed by many people. And I would recommend anyone to check that out because it really is a great article, in my opinion, one of the best that I've ever read. And it really is, as you always do in your books as well, it really is asking some very, it's just asking great questions. That's what it's, that's what it's doing. And I think the power of a, a question it really does make people um, question a lot of things in their life. But I would just love to start this off by asking you the question, how do you think the sort of this current situation that is sweeping the planet at the moment is sort of bringing into your play your work you've done before yeah for for 15 or 20 years i've been writing about the process of of civilization change um systems change narrative change the change in mythology and it's like now all of a sudden the things that i've been foreseeing are actually happening um the breakdown of normal, the plunge into the, what I call the space between stories, where, where reality, where, where, where permanent features of reality are revealed as totally impermanent, and that things that had seemed real are revealed as just agreement, held together only by, by our stories and our agreements and our meanings, which casts us into this, into this unknown space which is very disorienting and frightening for a lot of people, including myself. Uh, there's part of me that kind of wants to go back to the way things were, even as I understand that the way things were was not the way things should be. And like many people had felt trapped in the way things were uh, and, and seeing our society trapped in the way things were on this downward spiral to ecological destruction and social and political decay. It's like, it's not like things were working before this. Yet when we are, and I won't say that, I won't say that coronavirus has liberated us from normal because in whether it's in personal life or in our collective life, very often the first response to a breakdown in normal is to cling all the more tightly to it. A lot of what's happening today is an extension or um, uh, an intensification of the old normal. Like social distancing, for example, is nothing new. People are becoming more and more boxed in their homes, more and more on screens, more and more remote from each other, uh, less and less public for a long time. And now it's like frozen this new reality in place. Same thing with 
government surveillance and tracking of people. Same thing with fear of germs, the obsession with hygiene and safety. Uh, like all of these trends, the dominance of medical authorities in life, these are not new, but it's like they've crystallized into the, the fulfillment of the old normal and of these trends. So it's not like coronavirus is liberating us from the trajectory that we were on before, but it is making that trajectory visible and putting it in our faces and asking us, do we want to continue down this road that we were unconsciously choosing? So it's making that choice conscious now. And a lot of people, more and more, since I wrote that essay, I and mean, that was like a month ago, more and more people are, are really questioning um, all of these things that we are doing, this lockdown, this quarantine, to be safe. Are they really worth it? Even if they are keeping us safe, which is a whole debate, as you know, uh, that, that many people reject on its own terms. But even if they are working, is this the life that we want? So I could say a lot more about that, but I'm afraid I'm going to be speaking too far, too long. So, Yeah, yeah, you made some really great points. You know, you made some really fantastic points there. And it's really interesting because, like you said, it's, it has highlighted sort of the trajectory where we're, where we're sort of heading because in the past we were already sort of huddling inside of our houses, but now at the minute with this, what, with, with what's going on, on the planet, it's the huddling in the houses is sort of being justified by, by the sort of the certain situation. So it is, it, you are completely right. It really is making people um, realize many different areas in their lives from a, a spiritual, from a psychological, from a physical, physical perspective. And uh, you were, you really are asking, you really are right to, 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 to suggest that because even in my own life now, when I'm looking around family members and people around us, people in the past who wouldn't be normally um, ask questions in their own lives from a, like I said, from a psychological and a spiritual perspective are actually facing that now when they're questioning it. It's one of these days where like the technology Dead. gods are not yeah. smiling on us. I didn't don't, perform don't the correct ritual this morning. <laughs> don't worry. Yeah. You're doing the wrong ritual. ritual. You need to start doing the satanic one. <laughs> uh, right just like the world controlling elites right <laughs> have you gone down those rabbit holes too like all the conspiracy oh yeah stuff and, Def- definitely have yeah. yeah in fact so the coronation uh you know it, it circulated very widely i think uh according to our stats like we had maybe two million unique visitors to the to the site you know like a lot of people way more than anything else i've ever written yeah um and and so, you know, people are re- reprinting it and stuff and linking to it. And so um, I was supposed to be on a, uh, I won't say the network, but a pretty mainstream, um, you know, mainstream media thing, which was abruptly canceled. And then another one told me, well, you know, we we're going to have you on, but um, we we did some background research and, you know, your essay has been on, QAnon affiliated sites and conspiracy sites and stuff. So it's like, it's like you must be on the other side and, you know, are you a conspiracy theorist? And I'm like, okay, for one thing, what is a conspiracy theorist? It's used as a, basically a political smear. 
if you disagree with the official narrative or admit that there are valid uh, alternatives or legitimate alternatives that should be even looked at, mm -hmm. then you get smeared as a conspiracy theorist. Whether or not you actually believe that there is a conscious conspiracy to whatever, to poison the planet, to, um, you know, instigate mandatory vaccines, to uh, mind control everybody with 5G, uh, to reduce the population and replace people with robots or whatever. I mean, there's like, there's like all of these different variants of an overarching myth, but that myth, and so that I'm writing a piece um, on the myth of conspiracy, not saying that it is just a myth, but saying that it is a myth. A myth, but a myth isn't a fantasy. A myth is a powerful story that organizes reality and helps us see things that would otherwise be invisible. So anyway, like this whole, this whole um, conspiracy theory meme, it, there's a lot underneath it that, that the word conspiracy theory doesn't even begin to get at, you know? And, and basically this is what we were talking about before, just you and I, when, when, when normal breaks down, people are grasping for, for meaning. They're, they need to make sense of the world. And so there's all of these alternatives that come in and say, okay, everything you've ever told is a lie. Here's what's true. And then someone else says, no, 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 here's what's true. What they all have in common is some guy or some institution, it's the same as the mainstream, saying, here's what's true. Listen to me. Uh, trust in my authority. And I understand things. Well, what if they're all wrong? What if nobody actually knows what's happening here? And that's, that's one reason, that was one of the tributaries into the coronation, the essay, which is that I'm like, I, can I really know for sure? What, what can I know for sure? Yeah, I have my leanings. I've you know, personally practiced uh, holistic and alternative medicine for 30 years and have seen powerful results and had experiences that science would ridicule as impossible uh, within medicine and without. So, so like there's that, but do I really know for sure enough to tell people here's what's true? I don't like, I don't think that lockdown is serving is actually even saving lives. And I don't think that, that um, the price of lockdown is worth it considering the tens of millions of people facing starvation around the world because of it, like way more than have been affected by COVID. But that's my opinion. Um, I don't know for sure. So then I, I come down to what do I know for sure? What is the truth that I can source from my body that doesn't even require that I trust one authority over another? And that's where I came to like our attitudes toward death and life and what's really important and, and why has it become so important for us to prolong life rather than to focus on how we are living and to postpone death rather than to ask how we are dying. Yeah, so. definitely. No, great questions. I, I loved how you asked the question because I remember reading that in your article when you asked the question, how do, we, how do we know what we believe is true? 
And it's really interesting because even if you ask the, even if you, you ask the question, um, what is truth within the universe, you will find that there's multiple truths within the universe. There is many different um, truths. And also as well within life as well, many people have many different, um, many people have different experiences in life, which also affect their filters and which the information feeds through their system. So it's, it's, it is very hard when you like it is, it's a really good question. How, how do you, how do you know what you believe is true? It really is. And someone asked me a question once on the podcast, they said, what is one thing we can all agree on? And I, I couldn't, I, I really couldn't find anything. I think the only thing that I could find, and I thought about this for about five, five months is that something is happening. <laughs> and it, it is really hard. I mean, them, them questions that they really are, they, they really do give you a, a great perspective of, 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 of the whole universe, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, the, the coronavirus phenomenon is definitely inviting people into these deeper questions. When, that, when you, when you said before as well, I wanted to question before we got cut off as well. I wanted to ask you this question when you, um, that's what I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you, actually, you, you mentioned this before about how things that will become invisible uh, visible within society and one of them was before i know you slightly touched on it about how the, the conspiracy aspect of things but it definitely seems that the, from a political and from a, a government point of view what is sort of playing out is, is a lot more people are, are losing it's highlighting that a lot of people have lost distrust in that system yes um the 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 conspiracy the popularity of I don't want to really call them conspiracy theories because that term is, as I was saying, uses a smear to encompass a lot of things that are not actually conspiracy theories. Yeah. Like, but so let me say, say instead the popularity of alternative narratives um, and dissident points of view, dissenting points of view, uh, shows that shows a, a crisis in in trust that. We do not, this like 30 or 40 years ago, um, I don't think people would have questioned the medical and political authorities the way that they do now. But we've been lied to, like this is, this, and, and you know, you, some, some establishment types will bemoan this, the, 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 the distrust of the public and why don't they listen to the doctors and the health authorities? What's wrong with those people? Why won't they listen to teacher? as if it's the fault of the public for not trusting politicians, corporations, government organizations. Well, actually that distrust has been well-earned through decades and decades of lying, corruption, and the failure of government to really serve the public interest. A generation or two ago, there was pretty deep trust in government. My grandfather, um, even when he could have gotten away with, with um, paying less taxes, he always was proud to pay his full amount of taxes because he's like, we're all in this together and the government is looking out for our interests. Like he was completely um, enrolled in the, the legitimacy of the the of of the government of the system as it was that kind of trust and you know 
there's always been those who have been marginalized and oppressed and never were part of that establishment who have distrusted government all along. Like in my country, it would be like a lot of black people. Um, but now that kind of buy-in has, has withered away because we've been manipulated for so long. And I could give many examples, uh, you know, the weapons of mass destruction fiasco, uh, Iran-Contra, things like that, but also, also just the, the, the failure of government to, to uh, serve the public interest and the public will. Like, look at the, the concentration of wealth, the, 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 the um, unfair distribution of, of wealth that has intensified through my entire lifetime, the impoverishment of the middle and working class, uh, the, the shriveling of the social safety net so that it doesn't catch as many people, like the, the inability of government to afford to repair, to maintain our infrastructure, um, just like this general uh, uh, downgrade of life. Why is that happening? Is it because our machines don't work anymore? Is it because technology has regressed? Like, why do we feel poorer now? Why are we more miserable? Why are we less healthy? Some, some enormous percentage of, I can't remember, it was like 42% of children have some kind of chronic health condition, uh, you know, from autism to, to early onset diabetes, um, to, to some kind of autoimmunity, allergies, asthma, et cetera, et cetera. Like, like uh, something like one in five women suffer from clinical depression in this country. Uh, we could talk about obesity. We could talk about addiction. Like this is not a society that's working. Like, like there is so much less faith in the system and in the promise of that system and in the whole mythology that life is getting better and better. So we are primed to reject what we're being told right now. Uh, or out of fear, we could um, trust Big Brother. It's uh, an interesting moment. Yeah, it really is, and you ask you really do you're asking some great questions, and you're only asking questions what everyone else is really asking themselves as well, really. But you're just you're just putting it out there, and it's really interesting because the question I want to ask you is: Do you feel that the crisis that is going on on the planet is sort of highlighting a lot of the fragile aspects of society from, say, a psychological and a physical perspective? I mean, one thing is is just how vulnerable and scared we are. Um, it's really, I was, I was, uh, I asked my mother, you know, the, the last big pandemic was in 1968. It was called the Hong Kong flu. And depending on which source you read, it killed between one and 4 million people on earth at a time that the population is, was about half what it is right now. So that is, uh, again, like an order of magnitude more than have died from coronavirus. But there was no panic about it. 
There were no quarantines, there were no lockdowns, there was no social distancing, there was really no fear. In fact, right at the tail end of it, one of the biggest gatherings in history ever to happen in the Western world took place at Woodstock, New York. At Woodstock, people were not practicing social distancing. They were not wearing masks. In fact, many of them weren't wearing anything at all. Like people were all together in this mass. There was, there was just, there just wasn't this level of fear. So what this is showing us is how, um, not just how vulnerable we are to a disease, which is mostly um, harming people who are already sick, um, but also um, how, how easily cowed we are, how easily we accept the, the fear messages that are coming in and how easily we comply with these draconian measures to lock us down and quarantine us and take away our freedoms, um, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, freedom um, of the, the, I mean, just all of our, our even freedom of speech, you know. Um, some of the things I'm saying here might actually get this interview censored. You just interviewed Andy Kaufman, same yes. thing. Like a lot of that stuff is getting censored, it's fake news. So um, yeah, it's, I'm not sure exactly what it's showing us actually. Um, because this has not played out yet and it could, and I'm already seeing signs actually of a counter reaction where people are like, hold on here. Uh, maybe I'm not scared anymore. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. I mean, that's what people are, people are doing. I mean, but I think the more that, the more that you, that these questions are brought forward to people's minds and the more that inf new information is brought forward to people's minds, people do start because this, this goes to a bigger picture of, like you said to, to uh, you, uh, which you asked in a question in, in the article, coronation, the bigger question that this gets to is the fear of death because I feel that that's one of the biggest reasons why people are running scared now is because they are scared of death. But the more that you, the more that you do self-knowledge and the more that you look into these topics and you ask great questions that you're asking, you, you do start to understand that, that death is just an illusion and you, and that is not sort of, that is not the be end and the end all of this, of this place. So it's like, so I think the more that you do, the more that you do start um, diving into your own, your own psychology of your own self, you start to to realize there is there is maybe more to more to to this world than 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 sort of being made out to be. But you said you asked another really interesting question in your your article, and you asked the question about um, how much of life are we how do we want to sacrifice in order to alter our security? And I think that's a that's a really uh, great question because it's clear to see what's going on in the world now. We are sort of giving away a, a lot of our um, a lot of our freedoms in order of security. Could you speak a bit about that? Because I thought yeah. that was a great question in the article. Yeah. Um, so one debate we could have is, um, is the lockdown actually saving lives? And you could argue that either, I mean, I've, I'm familiar with the arguments on both sides. Uh, at the beginning, it was about flattening the curve. It seemed like really uh, obvious that it was going to save lives. Now the curve has already been flattened, but we're still doing it. And now like it's shifted to other rationales. Uh, so that's a debate you could have. 
But by even having that debate, engaging in that debate, you're already agreeing that that is the important thing to be talking about and that you are agreeing that policy should be made based on how many lives are saved from the COVID-19 infection. Okay. What does that debate topic leave out though? It leaves out, for one thing, um, what kind of lives we are going to be living. So what if it isn't temporary, the lockdown? What if, just for sake of argument, like hypothetical, okay? What if someone said, okay, we have scientifically proven that if we stay on lockdown forever, then we will have um, 10,000 or 100,000 or a million, let's say, fewer deaths every year. Should we do that? Well, if you say no, then, then you're like, people are going to die. Yeah. You're going to kill people just for the sake of your own freedom. But really what we're facing is competing values. And certainly preventing premature death is an important value. Like, I'm not going to say that that's not important. I don't want to die prematurely, but it's not the ultimate overriding factor in making all of my choices. So the question then is, if we could actually save X number of lives, do we want to forevermore live in a world without dance parties, without churches, without uh, festivals, without sports, without group hugs, without yoga classes, without parties? Is that the world we want to live in? Is it worth it? And if we could save even more lives by permanently enclosing each person in an aseptic bubble and preventing them from engaging in any risky behavior, do we want to do that? And if we're looking at a future where, say, even dating is done remotely and procreation happens through sex robots that take the sperm and, you know, freeze it and then inseminate somebody. Do we want to do that? I mean, you can take it as far into science fiction as you want. Uh, and, but these extremes kind of illustrate the basic question here, which is that what are we willing to place on the altar of risk minimization and, and safety and security? And then the question is, why have we placed safety and security at such a high place? Why have we made that our God? This is not just about COVID. It's also about um, immigration, terrorism, um, all kinds of, uh, of, of security measures. The, the way that, that people's, you know, every yard in many neighborhoods has a sign uh, advertising the security firm that is protecting their house. Uh, or maybe they even have walls and fences around their house and, and alarm systems and things. Um, the schools are, are locked down this before coronavirus. I mean, because of school shootings. I don't, maybe not so much in Ireland. You're, are you in Ireland? Yeah, no, I'm in uh, like... no, North, North England. Oh, okay. Um, so over there, maybe not, not as much, but the whole mentality of security and safety 
the the locking children indoors. I mean, mm -hmm. this is not new either. Over my lifetime, it's become less and less socially and legally acceptable to have children playing unsupervised outdoors in many, many countries, not just not just here. The, the, the things that were routine in my childhood would get you a visit from Child Protective Services today, potentially taking away your children. I know people this has happened to. So this, this, this orientation toward risk minimization, where does that come from? And it's related to what you were saying. It's related to the fear of death. Like as, as our dominating consideration as if we could live forever. Like I would understand that if we were immortal beings, then yeah, safety, security, because you, you know, if you are careful, then you can live forever. But that's not true. It's not like you're going to live forever. If you're careful enough, you're not going to survive life. You're going to die. Yeah. So that means that that life prolong prolongation has to share space with other values like living well, living fully, dying well. Um, like some to live fully, you have to engage the world. You have to encounter risk. That's that's how that that's what life is. I was just so, gonna add so as, really sorry. I was just gonna add yeah. as well. Sorry, I was just gonna jump in and add you made some great points. Sorry to cut you off, but I was gonna say that not only just to, to live fully, but actually to live healthy as well, to live what we understand now about in terms of health. That you have to community is a fundamental aspect of health, and there's I mean all these things that that we are trying that we are sacrificing in the order of security for our safety and for our, and supposedly for our health is actually completely controversial because it's actually detrimental to our health. Yeah, that's the big irony. It's like all these things that we're doing to stay safe and stay healthy actually, in the long run, don't keep us safe and healthy. Whether you're talking about the psychological effects of social isolation. Um, you know, the, the, the research that shows that the biggest predictor of chronic disease, bigger than smoking, bigger than drinking, is loneliness. And then on the biological level, too, like the necessity to, to maintain a, um, uh, an internal ecosystem. That Where does that come from? You know, that comes from touching your face. That comes from breathing in the the and and ingesting the biome of the world it comes through being um a nexus of flow a nexus of relationship not a fortified insulated separate self so whether it's socially or biologically we need relationship in order to thrive and and what's going to happen to our immune systems when they're not getting challenged and um, regenerated and bolstered by constant exchange with the world. Like this, this uh, delusion that we can isolate ourselves and thereby be, live forever after, happily ever after. <laughs> um, that's at the root of it. And as long as we accept that and, and, and that we are separate selves, this is the, the ruling mythology of, of modernity. The ruling mythology is separation. It says who you are is a separate individual in a world of other. Therefore, your well-being comes from your ability to dominate those other separate selves 
that are in it for themselves too and will take advantage of you and invade you and outcompete you. So progress, development, advancement means progress in our ability to dominate the world, to insulate ourselves from natural forces, to harness the, the other beings of nature and the fossil fuels and the atom and to exert our dominance even down to the molecular and genetic level, then we will finally live in paradise. Finally, we will live happily ever after when we conquer the final frontier, which is death itself, and engineer imperishable cyborg bodies. I mean, there's, you know, that's one of the science fiction directions that it goes. But the basic ambition is to become the lords and masters of nature. So as long as we have that, that mythology of separation, then everything that we're seeing as a response to the COVID-19 is pretty much inevitable, whether or not there's a conspiracy behind it. It's the product of the, the psychic climate of civilization as we know it. And therefore, it is also an invitation to shift that climate and to embrace a different mythology, which says, no, we're not separate. We're, we're connected. We're relational, even down to our bones, to our existence. It's not that we just, it's not just that we need each other. It's that we are each other. And what happens to you affects me. And <clears throat> what happens to the rainforest affects me. And what happens to any species if it goes extinct, part of me dies too, even if I can source what that species gave me from somewhere else. The honeybees all die. That's okay. We can, you know, make artificial honey or something like that. Something, if that happens, even if we can still replace their pollinator functions or something like that, something in us will have perished. That is what the mythology of interbeing would tell us. And so this coronavirus, this is an invitation for us to embrace a new mythology, a new and very ancient mythology of interbeing, and then to apply that. It's not just a philosophy. It's like, okay, we really accept that who we are is relationship. Then how do we, um, how do we respond? So we're going to maybe, instead of distancing, we're going to embrace community and embrace our interdependence. Instead of trying to maintain aseptic cleanliness and germ phobia, we're, gonna, we're going to uh, enhance our immune systems through um, interaction with the, with the microbial world and, and avail ourselves of all of the, I just read an article from a, a Nigerian publication about um, Madagascar's uh, claim that they've developed a, a very effective therapy for COVID-19 that is being rejected by the WHO. And they say it's because we're African. So of course it couldn't come from Africa, you know, because we're always getting discredited. Uh, but there's another reason, and I, I'm not going to say that that's not true, but it's also that it's based on an herb uh, that has been traditionally an Artemis herb that's been basically, you know, traditionally used for anti-parasite, anti-malarial stuff. Like that, that kind of therapy that is um, 
that comes from relationship to the non-human world and says, we need each other. We can't just engineer and synthesize uh, what we need and don't need nature anymore because we can handle it ourselves. Like that is, you know, that, that's an, another example of this, this mythology. So maybe we need to embrace the kind of thinking that maybe still persists in Africa and say, yeah, maybe we don't really know as much as we think. And maybe we don't need to be the great white savior that goes in and vaccinates everybody, whether they want to or not, because we know it's best for them. Maybe they know something too. Uh, and, and so to open the floodgates of herbal, alternative, holistic medicine, um, I know I'm probably going over time, but can I say one more thing? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, honestly. Yeah. Honestly, you can say what you are. I'll just keep going, it's great stuff. Okay. Yeah, I, I, was, I was on a thread with, a, uh, with uh, a bunch of doctors. Like, these are mainstream people. You know, they're working in the ER, you know, at whatever medical school or whatever hospital. And the one guy was, was like, yeah, you know, I don't really believe these anti-vaxxers and stuff, but you know what? He does like this EFT, this uh, emotional, uh, you know, the tapping thing. Yeah. And he's like, we have research that shows that this increases immunoglobin counts by 110%. And the immunoglobin, you know, it's this protein that, that, that um, binds to coronavirus protein spikes and neutralizes the coronavirus. He says, if we had a pharmaceutical that, that generated a 110% increase in immunoglobin, it would be a blockbuster drug. But this, you know, tapping thing is, I mean, you don't hear the WHO touting that or the CDC. It's totally off the radar because the, on, you know, you could have a, a economic analysis of why that is. You can't patent it. You can't make an expensive drug with it. You can't feed it into the technological medical machine, the profit, profitable technological medical machine. Like there's that, but there's also kind of a paradigmatic resistance to anything that could be that easy, that doesn't require specialists, that empowers the individual to care for their own health. Because it was a really great point you were saying about how it, what is going on currently in the world now gives us this sort of invitation to, to take a look at these bigger questions. And one of them that you raised before, which was, which was really powerful in my opinion, and I've asked it myself, is what is the price of progress? Um, because it's really interesting that if we look at life in general, we don't really get to see these sort of these different uh, transitions of becoming something else. For, so for example, if you take, for example, the hunter-gatherer, the hunter-gatherer didn't know he was becoming the, the sort of the modern-day human. But I, I, really, I really think it is vital as a civilization to ask ourselves in order to, to pro progress, what are we going to be sort of leaving, leaving behind to just sort of march forward towards? And it, that, that, like I say, that's a really, it's a, really is a valuable question. But a question I actually wanted to ask you as well is, is, do you think it's actually important in our lives to sort of, to sort of step into uncertainty more? Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually those two questions are related. When we talk about progress, we have to ask progress towards what? Mm. For a long time, for my whole lifetime, and for several generations before, uh, even for a few hundred years in the West, there was a general consensus on what progress was. It was progress toward a scientific, technological, 
utopia where the the material tech where material technology would make us more and more comfortable would free us from toil and labor uh, would cure all of the afflictions of mankind uh, end disease prolong lifespan and so forth and the same methods and mindsets would be applied to society as well through the social sciences and we would engineer scientifically and rationally a perfect society we would educate people scientifically put them through schools uh, we would um, uh, scientific we like every every social realm took on the um, cast of a science political science criminal science social sociology psychology like all these things became sciences and, and so we were going to make a perfect world we had a destination if you look at at visions of the future from mid-20th century you know it was it was bubble cities and robot servants the complete mastery of humanity so that's what progress was it was towards that away from the land away from the soil away from physicality and materiality that was lower even this whole idea that lower means bad and higher means good where does that come from that 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 is also encoded in this conception of progress so applied to other countries other nations other places on earth if we're going to help them progress of course, it means that they're not going to be peasants and hunter-gatherers and farmers anymore. We're, go we're going, to, going to bring them along in this ascent away from materiality. So this was, this was the, the vision that defined what progress was. And it, was, it had tremendous promise. It was going to make life better and better and better. There were some red flags that sensitive perceptive people were became aware of starting at the beginning of the 20th century actually starting with world war one at least where the machine that was supposed to bring us unqualified good was applied to killing with horrific results and then the holocaust where the rational methods of the administrator of the engineer the social engineer were applied to the very efficient killing of millions and millions of innocent people. And then the greatest advance in technology, the, the harnessing of the atom. First application, the atomic bomb. So this, and then, and then just, you know, the, the promise of the cure to all disease that seemed so close in the 1950s and the 1960s where all of the great killers had receded into insignificance like surely by the year 2000 we would have licked cancer and heart disease and the common cold right people were confidently predicting the end of disease since that time not only have we not licked cancer heart disease and the common cold but a profusion of new diseases have arisen seemingly out of nowhere. The autoimmune diseases, first and foremost, but all kinds of new diseases. So we have, so, so our confidence in progress has dwindled 
And that leads to the second part of your question, uh, the uncertainty. Because when we lose faith in where we were going, in progress, in development, we start to ask, why are we here? What, what are we doing? If we don't have a, a coherent goal, then we can't unify our action and we end up fighting each other. Like there's no unifying story anymore. To find that story requires letting go of the old story. The, the, the tendency when an old story falls apart often is to cling all the more tightly to it and to try to, to rouse up some vestige of that old can-do, forge-ahead spirit. A mission to Mars. Maybe that'll get people excited again. They announced a mission to Mars. Was anybody excited about that compared to the mania of the moon landings? When I was a kid, even my shampoo bottle was in the shape of a rocket. Like every kid was just gaga over space, the final frontier, space. Now no one cares about that because we, we don't believe the myth anymore. So we are already in what I like to call the space between stories, the uncertainty. We have to embrace that uncertainty because only when we admit that we don't know can we bring in new information from outside the bounds of what we thought was real. And that new information is waiting for us. It's been knocking at the door. It's been giving us experiences that don't fit the reality that has been narrated to us, whether by science that says this is impossible, but hey, you experienced it, or by uh, religious or political authority uh, that says, here's what you are, but then you take psychedelics and you have like some experience way beyond what, what, you, what you thought was a self and, and, and reality. I mean, there's so many, or, or just the prescription for how to be a happy, successful person leading you in, instead into burnout and despair. Um, so, so in various ways, the, the future, and then we have these experiences um, of joy and connection that weren't on the menu uh, of the prescription of how to live life. So, so basically, we're getting invitations from the future that show us uh, what life could be and what's possible beyond what we were told. And as we're getting pulled toward that future, we're also getting ejected from the old story, which is just breaking down around us. And so there is that in-between space where we're just not sure anymore. It's so uncomfortable when we've for generations been immersed in this certainty of this mythology, this separation, this worldview. And now we're um, in new territory. Uh, and yeah. it's just begun. Yeah, definitely. And just to, I know I'll respect your time, but just to add one more question, I would love to ask you just to sort of bring this to an end. I would love to ask you, how, how do you feel, have you thought about how we can maybe use this sort of opportunity as a catalyst to evolve humanity, what we could really focus on? I know that's a big question, yeah. but maybe just in summary, <laughs> just to respect your time. Well, one thing, you know, we can question what we've been told is, um, inevitable or unchangeable. Margaret Thatcher said, there is no alternative. We just can't afford this. We just can't afford that. 
Well, actually we can. We can do anything we want if we have the will. If we can afford the, uh, you know, all of the costs of lockdown, if, we, if all of a sudden the government has money to, to, in my country, it's, you know, to send a stimulus check to every single person. What else can we afford that we've been told that we can't afford? Maybe we can't afford universal basic income. Maybe we can't afford to rebuild our infrastructure. Maybe we can't afford healthcare for all, education for all. Maybe we can't afford, um, we can do anything that we want. And when we realize that our limitations are the product of our stories and agreements, we can change those stories and agreements and change what has limited us. For example, debt. So one thing that can come out of this is a program of debt cancellation. Um, internationally and um, you know, on, on many levels. Uh, that would be tremendously liberating. Uh, when we see, when we are shown obviously what isn't working, so like the authoritarian state, which has locked us all down to what more and more are suspecting to no real good purpose, we can ask, do we want this authoritarian state? And what in ourselves has invited that state? Because it's not, I mean, the state gets its power from our acquiescence to it. We are not separate from the state. So it's a, it's a self-inquiry too, and an inquiry in community and, and a collective inquiry. It's not like this other, this virus that has attached itself to us. That whole way of thinking is part of the problem, as Dr. Coffin would say, you know, the, 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 the virus attacking us, the bad guy outside of ourselves. That is, so, you know, I could translate this into specific policies and things, you know, and talk more about alternative medicine and, and, and so forth. But it's really, the, the important part is the, the deeper questioning um, of the story, one of which, one, one of the aspects of which is the war of good on evil. That expresses as the war on the virus. It expresses as seeing government as outside of ourselves and therefore we're powerless to change it. This is about recovering sovereignty. That's why I called it the coronation, which is a ritual of coming into sovereignty, right? The crowning of the sovereign. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so, that, that's, so this is the opportunity that we have to reclaim our sovereignty over our health, over our politics, uh, over the direction that society is taking. We ask, do we want this? And why have we acquiesced to it? And what in ourselves has generated and invited and manifested as all of the things that we're now saying, oh, I'm not sure if I want that. Like I'm being shown a, 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 an outpicturing of my psyche and our collective psyche. That is the moment that we're in to see that and to either choose it or to choose a different path. Great questions. Honestly, thank you so much for your time. Really powerful questions as always. Like I said, I would recommend anyone listening to this or watching this to check out the full article that you did called Corona Nation. I'll, I'll put it in the link below of the YouTube video. I'll also put it in the link of the audio of the podcast. But as always, thank you so much for giving us your time because like I've said, I've read, I've read many of your books. You 
in my opinion, you are one of the greatest thinkers in, in, the, in the world at the moment, in my opinion. And you're just asking some really important questions. So thank you so much for giving us your time. Well, that's very kind of you, Dan. Um, yeah, I really appreciated it. And uh, yeah, I wish you, wish you well with your endeavors. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks so much for checking out that podcast conversation there. As you can tell, what a great conversation that was. In my opinion, the power of a question really is such a beautiful thing because it really makes you question a lot of different belief systems, a lot of dogmas, and a lot of... Um, and a lot of perceptions that we may hold up in our minds about many different things that's going on on the planet. It was a great conversation that, it really was. Um, I hope you enjoyed it anyway. And if you can guys, check out the one-off donation option in the Patreon page. And as I mentioned guys, I'm lately I have a lot of energy and I'm just rolling these conversations out and podcasts out as soon as they come off the shelf. So... So over the next few days, there may be another podcast. Who knows? I've got some other guests lined up, some really good ones as well. So this thing really at the minute really is getting is is really ramping up. I hope you like the content that I'm keep putting out on a regular basis because I really have been working a lot, very hard behind the scenes, guys, just to try and bring you the most interesting conversations I can, especially with what is going on in the world right now. So anyway, I love you all. And just to play this podcast conversation out, as I always do, this is a really um, cool song. This is a song that one of my friends actually sent to me, and it is called, it's by a group called Hostox, I think that's how you pronounce it, but the song is basically called Message in a Bottle, and it really is such a powerful song. It's actually one of the best tunes, songs, or tracks, whatever you want to call it, that I've ever heard in my life. It really is a cool one. I'm sure you will relate. It's such a powerful tune. Anyway, wherever you are in the world, keep seeking. Peace out. I happen to be a believer. That art began the day that Eve bit the apple. That the first fashion statement she wore was a fig leaf. The quote, don't take nothing and make it something. Take nothing and make it everything. We were made in the image of a fig leaf. We were born of water, the basis of all substance. We came into this world naked with only our fragility and vulnerability, and look at us now. We are hurricanes of wonder with an imagination that builds cities overnight. There is nothing ordinary about someone who paints the sky with their eyes closed and speeds heartbeats with their voice tones. We are artists, every single one of us. Make no mistake about that. Everything we see began as an idea anyway. So it is our time, right now, to release whatever is urging to get outside of us. The universe is your muse. She is naked, vulnerable, and standing right there in front of you. So, what are you gonna create? The entire world is your canvas. <laughs>
standing right there in front of you. So, what do you want to create? So... 